Well, good morning, everyone. Well, our call to worship this morning is Psalm 95. Um, and I'm going to uh, read the part leader, and you are the people. If today we hear God's voice in our hearts, we must follow it. If today Come, everyone, let's sing to the Lord. Let us tell the world that God has saved us. Let us sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs of praise to him. Come, let us bow down our heads and pray to God. Let us kneel before the God who made us. He is our God. We are his people. He loves us. Today you will hear God's voice. Follow it. Almighty God, Father of all mercies, we who are unworthy servants, we give you our humble and hearty thanks for all your goodness, your everlasting, loyal, chesed love to us and to all mankind. We bless you as our creator and the one who preserves us and he who gives all the blessings of eternal life into our souls. But above all, we thank you for the inestimable love and the redemption of the world by our Lord Jesus Christ for the means of grace that life is always yes, yes, and the hope of the glory of God. We beseech you to give us a deeper sense of your mercies, that our hearts may beat and be sincerely thankful, and that we show forth your praise not only with our lips, but with our lives, by giving up ourselves to your service, and by walking before you in holiness and righteousness all our days, through Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be all honor and glory, the world without end, forever and ever. Amen. Well, our scripture reading this morning comes from the New Living Translation of 2 Corinthians 1, 3 to 11. And in this text, the Apostle Paul reflects on the faithfulness of God and our calling to pray for one another. Verse three. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father. He is the source of all of our comfort. He comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort others. We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through. We were crushed. We were overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves, and we learned to rely only on God, the God who raises the dead. We placed our confidence in him, and he will continue to rescue us. And you are helping us by praying for us. 
The result is that many people will give thanks because God has graciously answered so many prayers for our safety. Amen. What a great word. Well, before I bring up our guest speaker, Steve Zeisler, I don't think he needs an introduction, but I wanted to give him one anyway. Um, Steve was the first Christian I met at Stanford University. And um, I was a brand new Christian, and he walked into my dorm room. I remember him sitting on my bed, and he just welcomed me and embraced me with open arms. And Steve was a football player, he was a lineman, and I kind of view that as a metaphor that he opened up the holes for me for my entire Christian life, because everywhere he went, I followed. He was college pastor, and I was his intern for two years. Uh, and then when he graduated onto adult ministry, I became college pastor, and instead of all doing that. And uh, then he served as an elder, and I had that joy as well. Um, but the thing I so appreciated about Steve, he is this um, very humble, nondescript man with weight and integrity, and speaks from the heart, and he's been through a lot of suffering that does not go away. It's the kind that's a yoke. And I've seen the beauty in his character that just speaks so highly of him. Uh, we've been very close friends. He also did marriage just before me uh, in March of 1972. And so between us, Steve and I have 100 years of marriage experience. So if anyone needs counseling, you can talk to our wives. <laughs> And so with that, I'm going to welcome you up, dear brother, and uh, enjoy the people I love. Thank you, Brian. Yeah. Appreciate you. Okay. I want to say about Brian, we'll say a word of gratitude to God for each other, apparently. But <clears throat> among the many things our friendship has done for me, is uh, Brian has, um, and it happened again this morning, led me in ways of prayer, learning how to pray, thinking about prayer. We're gonna talk about it in the, in the text this morning, but I think his, as he has soaked in the prayers of the Bible, written his own, um, spent time in his Savior's presence, uh, he's been an inspiration to me in that, so thank you, Brian. And, I do think Emily is someone you all ought to talk to if you need, want to know anything that's uh, about marriage. She's paid her dues, so that's great. <clears throat> so I was uh, taken with the video we saw earlier, uh, Gwen's description of the ministry of Jesus Atoku. And the generation, the millennials, Gen Z generation, it's the Gen Z generation, my grandchildren are coming up now as, as young folks, junior high and high school. And uh, there's repeated studies that talked about the loneliness, the isolation, the, uh, what social media has done to sort of ruin uh, the possibility of relationships, the pressures, the dysfunction of the world, and so on, that the, the, the generation she and others are ministering to and caring about have an acute experience of loneliness um, and leading often to despair and hopelessness. 
But in the midst of the description of the ministry is this uh, word about the failure of the church. And you will recognize that. It, we find it on every side that the church uh, is viewed in the public square among those who comment uh, from the outside. The church has outlived its usefulness. <clears throat> it is either irrelevant or in many cases dangerous. It is to be avoided. And so the generations of young folks, uh, some have left the church, which is considered irrelevant. And it's that tension that I want us to think about a bit today. And it's those kinds of observations have made me want to turn to places in the Bible that talk about healthy congregations, that describe what it means to be welcoming and authentic in our faith and to be able to speak about God loving others because we know he's loved us. What does it mean to not be lonely in your church but thrive because this is a place where we meet God together. It's those kinds of passages I, I think are, uh, instead of just lamenting, whether even accurately or not, lamenting the sorry state of the church in the public mind, where, where might we go to be encouraged, to be taught, to be invited into something better? And the text uh, we're going to look at today is at the end of uh, the book of James. And it's really not about community directly. James does not address what it means to be one in Christ and, uh, and with language like that. What he does is instruct us to, in how to pray in community. And James is very practical. He doesn't very often talk about the theories of things. His, his books are always pretty hard hitting. You know, do this, do this. I'm not interested in what you think about everything. I'm, I'm interested in who you are and what you, you're gonna do. And so we have, the, these, we have instruction about what it means to be a community of people who pray together. And he has uh, some different conditions, some different ways of describing it, but that's what we're looking at today. So 513 is where we start. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So the phrase among you is critical here. He's not addressing individual Christians on how to deal with some life circumstancing. He's ad addressing Christians among other Christians, living together in community, and he's got three things he wants to say about prayer, and we'll look at them. The third one is the most complex, and, and we'll spend most time talking about that, but the first is, simply, is anyone suffering? And, and let him pray and let him, suffering among you, let him pray. Um, here are the kinds of suffering I think James has in mind are hardships that happen in the course of every life sometime. It may be your turn at the moment to be relatively at peace, to be free of struggle perhaps, but someone else nearby is suffering. We all suffer at points in our life. We all go through ups and downs, um, where the road gets hard for a while and then it, it uh, evens out again. And, and what do we do when it's hard? What do we do when our shoulders stoop, when we're weighed down? Um, how, how do we react? And what James expects is that we will, in our community, share those burdens, identify what's hard, 
We don't isolate, we don't uh, fall into depressed resignation and grit our teeth and just gut it out. We don't, uh, we aren't stoically isolated. We, we, we let other people into our lives. We pray together, we walk together, we get through it together. Is anyone suffering among you? Let him pray. Um, the burden shared, uh, prayer requests, uh, acknowledging where, what uh, the, the struggling part of the road we're on, all of these are in some sense the opposite of communities of social media where you're expected to talk mostly about how terrific you are, to build your brand, to get people to like what you have to say, to put on a smiley face and, and look good. I think the church prayer vine, the church prayer request sheet is in some re respects the opposite of Instagram, where we're, we're opening about, hey, I need help, rather than look at me. And, and James is saying this, I'm telling you, church, this is how we do things. If you're suffering, pray. Gather some around you to pray with you. And, and you be there for them. Uh, my wife Leslie and I are in a, we, we've been in over all these years, 50 years of marriage and all, uh, been in various home groups, I'm sure you have too if you've lived a while. And they come and go and people move away and things change, but a few years ago, we, we started the current home group that we're in that consists, uh, in, in this case, of people, all of us, older, and all of us with grown children, and all of us with at least one grown child who is very difficult, uh, has created kind of heartache, difficulty, um, suffering, struggle. And that's, that's was kind of, and, all, and the thought was, we wanna be with somebody that kind of gets our stuff, right? I mean, not everybody has the same thing, and so this group, it exists, there's seven couples, and we meet twice a month, and we have for some years now, and we've told our stories enough so that everybody can hold up everyone else, that we share those burdens, we pray for one another. It's, it's not a horrific, impossible set of conditions, but they're hard. And so there's somebody there. And this is how Christians live together. And the church that is abused from the outside and rejected and run away from is not the church that James is talking about where people care about each other in, in, in suffering. The second prayer point, the second condition for prayer, is on some ways the exact opposite end of the scale. Um, you know, the, um, the second is, is anyone cheerful, let him sing praise. And again, the context is community. When something really good is happening, when something beautiful and, and delightful is occurring, Sing praises and, and invite someone else to join you in singing praise. Now, I think the, what he's speaking of here is not what he describes in chapter one. In chapter one of James, he says, count it all joy when you encounter various trials, which might be like the sufferings in, in, in the first part of verse 15. Trials, sufferings, burdens, har hardships in the ordinary Christian life. Count it all joy when you encounter these trials because you know good is gonna come. By faith, you count it all joy. It's not, the circumstances aren't joyful, but good is gonna come. I think here in 15, when he says, is anyone cheerful, let him sing praises, he's not talking about painful circumstances we receive by faith. He's talking about terrific circumstances that we, uh, 
We delight at times in the goodness of God and, in, and we express, um, we delight in, the, in circumstances of real blessing. I was at a wedding recently. There was an outdoor wedding, redwood trees. It's a, a lovely uh, kind of a garden setting. And the couple were married. I knew enough of their circumstances to know it had not been an easy road for them to get there. And I watched the bride kind of walk up a path towards her husband. And I thought, she is beautiful. This is beautiful. There ought to be an entire orchestra here thundering the ode to joy in this place because this is a great day. This is a beautiful thing. And, and somebody should be singing. We all should be singing in our hearts or together. When, when God gives us joyful circumstances, include us, include us all. When, when the good things are happening, how do we give them away? How do we sing better? How do, how do we let each other in on the joys of life as well as, as the struggles of life? That's what Christian communities do, and that's what James is saying. We do it by praying. We sing God's praise. We don't take credit when things go well for us. It's his gift. We see him in it. We raise his name. We invite others to sing praises with us. The community that's healthy is a praying community in its sufferings, in its joys. First uh, prayer I ever learned was a prayer sort of in this category. It was from Walt Disney. I did not grow up in a Christian home. I came to Christ as a, in high school, and there wasn't, we didn't pray in our house. There weren't Bibles around. I didn't have sort of access to, to that. But the, the first prayer I ever learned was the Johnny Appleseed prayer from the Walt Disney animated, things like early 50s, or no, sometime in the 50s, came out. And I still remember, the Lord is good to me. And so I thank the Lord for giving me the things I need, the sun, the rain, and the apple seed. The Lord is good to me. First prayer I ever learned. And, and the idea that God can be thanked and, and he can be sung to and he is good to me sometimes that, that I don't have language for. And Would you join me in singing? So I was driving in a not too long ago, early in the morning, the sun was just coming up, spectacular sunrise. I'm driving down the road, I was anticipating where I was going, and my playlist shuffled up, this is my father's world. And I just started singing at the top of my lungs along with my playlist. This is my father's world. And to my listening ears, all nature sings, and round me rings the music of the spheres. This is my father's world. Why should my heart be sad? The Lord is king. Let the heavens ring. God reigns. Let the earth be glad. Is anyone cheerful? Let them sing praises. Is anyone suffering? Let them band together with others who share their burdens with them. And, and James is describing a life of a prayerful community that is not unwelcoming, that is not cold and heartless, that is not self-righteous, that is not irrelevant even though it's, we, we at times, and, and lamentably too often in too many places, are not, we don't live in, in this kind of description, but we're called to it and we, we can choose it. The third category is the most difficult one, and, and so James, again, it's a, it's a call to prayer. He's saying, is anyone sick? And that, the word sick, uh, let me um, 
Yeah, is anyone sick among you? Again, among you, you're in your community. Let, them call for, let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. <clears throat> He's gonna go on to talk about this third condition. And this, it's a, it's a difficult passage. It's one that's, I think, been misunderstood many times. It's led to some weird places. But I wanna try and unpack it a little bit. But just to note, it's, part, it's the third in a series of situations where James is saying the church prays as a community. Get on with it. Do this. Act this way. And, and in this case, the third case, the one who is sick is someone who is at the end, is at their, uh, the lowest place. It means to be weak, seriously weak, to be depleted. It means... Um, uh, it's a, a grave condition, likely include, very likely includes serious illness. So it, the fact that it's translated sick is not wrong. It just means uh, sick in, a, in a, uh, a very difficult, an extraordinary, and extra difficult way. A grave condition likely includes serious illness, but also doubting God, emotional exhaustion, deep sorrow, loss of hope. So what happens when someone in our community gets to the place where they can't lift their head anymore, where their hope is nowhere to be found, when the sickness of, of whatever kind seems so hard it can't be borne, whether it's bodily, emotionally, that it's our brother or sister is at a low place. Well, the kind of prayer that's called for is the invitation of the whole church to pay attention to this circumstance that's, that's particularly awful and difficult. That's what it means to call the elders. It's not because the elders are, are special conduits of God's grace. The elders represent the whole church. So we are together taking this seriously. Our brother or sister needs our help. And the whole church will take it seriously and the whole church is represented when the elders come. Um, the, um, the, those who uh, ridicule the church or ridicule or um, withdraw from the church because of its failures might consider the Christian community caring for its brokenhearted one. And when it, again, we do this in... in in the case we, I was saying before, where there's ordinary suffering of the ordinary kind, bumps on the road, we call our friends together, maybe a small group, those who know us best, they pray for us, we, and, and, and eventually the suffering cycles off to something else. And it come, this is not that kind of thing. This is, this is serious. This is um, a time when much else stops in order to be able to focus, to care for someone who's in a hard place. And so the elders come, and that means all of us as an entire church come together. Now, I want to talk a little bit more about that, but I, I want to identify a set of problems. Um, verse 15 is the elders are in place. They are anointing with olive oil the one who is sick. The church is taking up the, the very hard burden of the person who's at their end. And, um, and it says, verse 15, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now, some throughout church history have taken this to imply a promise of a miraculous outcome, which it does not promise. 
But with that in mind, this verse has been used for all kinds of weird stuff in our contemporary time and throughout history. Consecrated, special consecrated healing oil is required. In Israel once and found a stand by the side of the road where they had little bottles of olive oil. Consecrated, special olive oil from the very olive trees Jesus sat under in the first century, as if olive trees could last for 2,000 years. But, but anyway, you need special oil. That, that's, that's, and, and you know, God won't work unless we get these mystical magic conditions right. And we're expecting a dramatic miracle and here's how you get one. And, and it's that kind of thinking uh, that, had, that this verse has sometimes taken Christians to. Consecrated healing oil, mystical phrases with special powers, priestly specialists to anoint the dying and hear confessions, itinerant healers in prophetic garb. How do we get a miracle? We, we're trying to set up these precise conditions to get exactly the miracle we're, we're calling for. But the verse is not promising miracles, instantaneous miracles. It's promising God, it's promising that when we gather together under these conditions, God will do something. Um, the, uh, the oil is a tangible reminder of the Spirit's presence. The prayer of faith is not mystical language. It is ordinary, in our case, English, sentences expressed with hearts of faith. That's the prayer of faith. It's not a particular set of words. We might remember the story in the New Testament of Simon Magus, the Samaritan magician, and when the apostles, uh, when the spirit fell upon the church in Samaria, and the apostles were present, the magician came up and tried to buy the power to give away the miraculous presence of God so he could use it in his magic show. That, that's the kind of thing that this, if we're not careful, this verse has often led people to, but I don't think at all that's what it's saying. So what, uh, what might it be saying? Let me read the verse at uh, the end of 16 and, uh, 17 and 18 because we're going to import Elijah into this just to make it a little more peculiar, a little more dramatic, a little more what, what's going on here. We'll uh, read of Elijah and then come back and try and, and I, uh, make sense of it. So the, uh, verse, the end of verse 16, the prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Now, James is not suggesting in this, again, we're, we're, we're going the wrong way if he's saying what you, we really need under, in the extreme circumstance of our dear sister or dear brother's extreme condition, what we really need is for someone like Elijah to show up. Elijah is the most dramatic human being that ever lived in some ways. I mean, Elijah did stuff nobody else has done. He careened around the world somewhat by himself, calling down fire on, out of heaven to consume the, uh, the altar, routing the, the priests of Baal. He, he exited the world in a heavenly chariot. He showed up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Moses standing next to Jesus. He, in some sense, was present in John the Baptist's ministry. He will come again before the, the second coming of the Lord as promised. Even to this day, Passover, at Passover Seders, 
a chair is set for Elijah because this might be the day when Elijah will come and the, the Messianic age will be ushered in. And it, the Elijah story, James is importing it here, and, and our, our imaginations go crazy. Well, if only Elijah could come, and what would happen to our sick sister or brother? But that's not the point he's making. What, he's, what, what James says is Elijah, dramatic as he was, is just like us. We don't need Elijah because we are like him in this room with our oil and our hands laid on our, our brother and we are trusting God together and the church is motivated out of love for one another to have this kind of prayer event because we care for each other. And we're, we are as Elijah-like as we need to be in this moment. So the church prays when there's ordinary suffering. The church praises when it prays when it's, it's cheerful. The church prays in extreme moments with attention to the presence of God and the collection of the church and our hearts knit together and the prayer of faith and, and what will God do? But we don't know for sure. It says if this person has committed sins that are ruining their life, the forgiveness of sins may be part of what God will do. If there's unconfessed sin and that needs to come out and our prayers may be the event that bring that out. Or if the sin has been confessed intellectually but never embraced by the heart of the sufferer, maybe we can help forgiveness to be embraced so that life changes. Perhaps if there is cancer or heart disease or dementia, or acute PTSD or some other physical phenomenon, maybe God will remove it in a moment. Maybe he will begin to deal with it in ways that take time. Maybe he will uh, leave it in place. We don't know for sure, but we are calling on him together to act in ways that only he can act. And we're believing that he knows what he's doing. Perhaps there's... Um, there, as we gather together in, around this person's uh, depressed state, perhaps lying in bed, perhaps in some other place of a kind of low ebb, we're gathered around them, the spirit's there. Perhaps we discover as a church, there's ways we can help we never thought of before, but God brings them to our mind. Perhaps hope is restored where there was no hope. Perhaps new reservoirs of grace are made available. We don't know what God's gonna do, but what the church does when people get to a, a deep and dark place, an evil day, the scriptures call it. We pray together and we love each other. And when we speak to a world that doesn't know God loves them and says God, and, and proclaim the love of God, we also know that God has loved us in Christ and God has loved us in our community and we're not making it up. We're talking about real, real things because we've experienced real things as we pray together. And prayer is James' way of focusing on a church that's becoming the church. Is anyone desperate? Let him, him or her call for the elders. And we'll, together we'll see what God will do for that, that um, hurting person. So, we hear uh, and, and lament over those who have been uh, hurt by the church, who have found themselves rejected or feel themselves to be. We look at the hypocritical uh, places where 
Jesus is named but not uh, not believed in, not loved, where it's where all of the terrible things that are done in the name of the Lord, we we look at a lonely uh, world. Um, but then, uh, lamenting those things, we turn and ask God, will, will you do something in our, our community? Will you be among us in a way, by teaching us to pray together, to change who we are, so that our voice is authentic. When we speak of the love of God, we are speaking of something authentic to our experience. And there's, there's two practical outcomes. One I skipped over in verse 16 and the other are the final verses of the chapter. I want to talk a little bit about to close. Verse 16 starts this way and it's in the context we've just been observing. Therefore, as the praying people of God, as the people who join themselves together in God's presence, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. It's occurred to me only fairly recently, I think this might be among the most radical sentences in the Bible. This is describing something that is remarkable. The people of God join together, seek one another out at various times and various places under the, the right circumstances, and say, I gotta tell you about my sin. <laughs> I gotta confess my brokenness. It does me no good to hold on to it. And I need your help. And will you see me as I am and love me? And it's mutual. We confess our sins to one another. There's no superior and inferior here. It's brothers and sisters in Christ that tell the truth about what's going on inside them and, and are, are willing to sort of live with being known and as uncomfortable and as, as hard as that may be, we are willing to do that because we are going to pray for each other to be made well. It's not confess your sins for one to one another so that they can be gossiped about. The, um, there, there's no circle in our community for people that just live with a burden of shame they can't talk about. There's no place in our community for the self-righteous to look down on other people that we're willing to tell the truth and hear the truth and pray for one another. We don't denounce failure. We don't humiliate others. We, we aren't the kind of church that looks for ways to put down outsiders who sin. Who we, they don't need our denunciation. They haven't asked for it. And, and in our community, we don't treat each other that way. This is, this is a conclusion, therefore, that James is drawing because he's from, from the kind of people he's describing who pray the kind of prayers he's been describing as, as a community, therefore, this makes sense. This is the, you know, a, a calling to obedience. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another to be made well. The last verses are also a call to um, a kind of a body response in action. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. 
if our love for one another as the people of God in a place is genuine, it, it means the one who leaves is still part of the community and we'll go get them. Jesus left the 99 in the pen and went for the, the sheep that was lost. It's much easier to hang around with the 99. And the problem with people who leave is very often they are angry or they're uh, in some kind of emotionally difficult place or they want nothing to do with the place they've left. They aren't gonna welcome your coming for them. It's thankless, it's messy. Seeking lost sheep who have wandered away Having been loved, want it no more. It's, you won't be thanked usually f for this, but it's because we're part of one another that we don't let folks go. We don't let them go easily. We go, we go after them and bring them back and sin is defeated. So James is not saying, I want to tell you what a community looks like. He's saying, I want you to pray as if you are a community. Act on it. Be who we were supposed to be in, in suffering, in, in cheerfulness, in depletion. And then as a result of that, speak to one another about what's true. Pray for each other to be healed. Seek those who wander away. It breaks my heart to think of the people that, that Gwen sees being yelled at outside anime conventions. I was not raised a Christian, I said that already, and I was lonely, and I was, you know, junior high, high school age, and didn't know who I was, and wanted friends, and wanted community. And the reason I came to Christ is because I saw believers who were in, you know, young people, not mature yet, not grown up, but they were real. They cared about each other, uh, they wanted to know God together, and that's how I found my way into the faith, not pushed away, but welcomed in. If, we, uh, if we'll learn to be a community of common life in prayer, we'll be the kind of place people want to get into instead of run away from. Let me pray uh, for us to that end. Lord, uh, we want to uh, suffer with those who suffer and dance with those who dance and do battle with those who are at the, the end of their rope, to call on you to act. Uh, we want to be the kind of people who are honest, not afraid, expect great things. We don't want to let folks wander away without going after them. Help us, uh, Lord, not because we want other people to notice us, but because we want to be the kind of people who are attractive to Jesus, attractive, will attract others to Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I want to close our service by reading again from uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We heard it earlier <clears throat> as a, a benediction for us, uh, or a call to uh, be the people of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us with all, in all our afflictions so that we may, may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. We rely not on ourselves, but God who raises the dead. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. 
You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of the many. Amen. Go in peace. Amen.